0: Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all.
1: I'm Pelin keskin Liu, a producer and writer I'm Jenny Chijong, a culture writer and critic. This week, we're discussing two different crises about being washed up. Uh, One is *Mank* on Netflix, and the other
0: is Tokyo Girl on Amazon Prime. Uh, Before we get started filling the episode, I want to include a request for all of you. Um, So next week, we want to do a holiday special. Um, So please send us your holiday movie recs, whether they are cheesy, bad, good, Question mark. Um, any and all sort of like very quintessential holiday movie wrecks, please feel free to email us. Um, Criticism is dead at gmail.com or just like add us directly on social, whatever works. Also, I would
1: like requests for things that feel like Christmas but aren't Christmas. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it should be a Christmas movie, but it really isn't. I'm, I'm all ears, dude. Jingle, jingle, bitch. Ho, ho, ho. Let's go.
0: I remember I saw Slate had a take that says Paul Blart, the mall cop, is a Thanksgiving movie. So. I guess really anything can be anything. Anything is
1: possible. Anything. Open your third eye for holiday film wrecks, please. Thank you. Yes.
0: Um, Anyway, Jenny, how are you doing, babes? How's your week been? I'm doing okay. This week has been the same as every other week in this entire year so that's where I'm at. Um, I'll keep this short How about you Pellin? What, what are you up to?
1: <laughs> it's been a stressful week but I ended it on cake. Uh, I got a really nice cake delivered to me by oh, my dear yeah. friend Madeline. She's in like this baking practice thing and she just needs people to eat the cake <laughs> that she practices on. I obliged her <laughs> um, It's delicious. Thank you Maddie. What kind of cake was it? It was a chocolate cake with raspberries Ooh. like a chocolate raspberry cake Yeah, hell I, yeah. which
0: I love um, great. So, what did you watch this week, Felon?
1: So, me and the rest of the fucking critics of the world <laughs> watched uh, Mank on Netflix, which is, and the reason why it's so hype is. It's David Fincher's 11th and latest film. So he is obviously, if you don't know David Fincher, he probably directed one of your favorite films. He directed Seven. He directed... Social Network? Yeah, he directed Social Network. He directed Gone Girl. He directed The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. A brief disclosure from me, I guess. He's one of my favorite directors. So I, I guess you could say I went into this biased However, this is so ridiculously different from anything he's ever done before <laughs> that it kind of felt like I was watching something not from him. Mm. Um, I was lucky enough to know that you also watched it. I have not heard your take yet. So this is
0: a live reaction. What did you think? Uh, from my you know, knowledge, to my knowledge, this film is a little bit uh, polarizing or controversial right now, maybe. It seems like people either love it or hate it. And unfortunately, I... I'm a little bit more on the, not hate hate? side, but I did not like it. I was struggling to get through it. I felt like watching a fucking brick wall and I was just like, why does it feel like I'm in a classroom, like doing homework? Like this is not really for me. So apologies to any uh, Fincher fans, including you, Pillen.
1: It's fine. I don't care. Like to me, this doesn't really feel like a Fincher movie, so I'm not, I'm not taking it personally at all. Mm hmm. So give anyone a bit of context as to what it's about, I would highly recommend watching Citizen Kane. This film is about the writer of that film, uh, Herman Mankiewicz. So Citizen Kane is argued to be one of the best movies of all time. Like it is directed by Orson Welles, who was I think 24 or 25 when mm-hmm. he directed it. It's basically based on Hearst. And then um, the film... So with Citizen Kane, the film is credited... To have been written by Orson Welles and Herman J. Mankiewicz but actually it's now known that Herman J. Mankiewicz was pretty much the only writer in in the writer's room for this film Um, and it was like a whole contentious battle for his credit but what actually ended up happening and why this film like uh mank is is so kind of zeroed in on by film critics is because it's basically inside a baseball for any film buff or film critic it's about an iconic film with some backstage drama that happened that's like well documented and then in the 60s and 70s two prominent film critics got into a basically like back and forth about what this film meant to film criticism and also what it meant like, I guess, to the culture at large with movie making. It was just, it was a really interesting moment, both when it was made, because it was dramatic, like Hearst tried to kind of get it pulled and not show it. And then there was like the whole screenwriting credit that was a whole issue. And then obviously like decades later, it became a whole thing with film critics having basically critic on critic beef. Yeah, so I only saw Citizen Kane for the first time a couple months ago. I would highly recommend that you watch it. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm a fucking dickhead. I hate any of the old films, period. Like, I'm so... Me too. Bi- I'm so biased towards, like... I just never focus. Because it. you know what it is? It feels like fucking homework.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how I felt feel about those films. And, like, this, which is, like, a, a simulacrum of those kind of films.
1: Yeah, exactly. However, um, the thing about Citizen Kane is when you're watching it, throughout it, from literally... The first five minutes all the way up until the end, I could not believe that this was produced in 1941 because it felt evergreen. Um, So I would recommend watching that. With regards to Mank itself, I've seen that film basically twice now. I've seen like 75% of my second watch. My first watch, I kind of agree with you in that it felt really impenetrable. Mm -hmm. it was done in a way and i think this has everything to do with the style of it and and this is the intention of david fincher Mm -hmm. it is shot like as if it would have been shot back in the 30s and 40s i understand why that came to be um however it did feel you know it felt like exactly why i don't like what i don't like watching old movies and it's that (laughs) like it feels like it's going completely over my head yeah so here's my thing with it mainly on the first watch because I understood the cultural significance of Citizen Kane, because I understood the cultural significance of the beef between Orson Welles and uh, Herman Mankiewicz, because I understood how much of an importance it was to film critics and how much they were loving it. And, you know, I felt pressure as, like, someone that kind of talks about these types of things to, like, go into it with, you know, my eyes wide open. However, this film is about none of those things. So... That's why the second watch felt a little bit more, uh, a little less intimidating, a little less impenetrable. I was doing a little bit less to kind of hang on to every word and just kind of go with the flow a little bit more. So it made it more enjoyable. But I've got to say, Gary Oldman wasn't doing it for me. Like, (laughs) I... I don't know whether it's because, like, I just saw Gary Oldman. I didn't see, like, Herman J. Mankiewicz. Um, It didn't feel like a brand new person to me. It felt like I was watching Gary Oldman do an impression.
0: Yeah, it was Gary Oldman, like, riffing. And what is, like, also, I think, contributes to the fact is, like, Gary Oldman is in his 60s, and he's he's playing someone who is ostensibly 43, and his wife is supposed to be around the same age, but she is played by an actress who is in her early 30s. So, like, it takes you out of it. It's... It doesn't convince yeah. fully. If we're
1: talking actors, though, like I was not expecting Amanda Seyfried to be so good. She yeah. was really, really good. Um, shout out to my girl Lily James, Lily Collins, Collins.
0: <laughs> what do <are> we do? <laughs> what? You I'm not that cutting now. I don't give that a fuck, in. man. Yeah. It's all
1: the fucking same, dude. They all have the same name. Like, listen, as someone who is bad with names, don't give me two. All two, these brunette two British white. Yes, yeah, yeah. two British brunettes. We have the same first name,
0: but she was good. What, like her very first appearance? I was like, "Oh, damn! I am transported." Suddenly, yeah,
1: yeah, and um, you know, it makes me question her agent, <laughs> <laughs> Emily <and> Ferris. <laughs> Emily and fucking Perry. did you know she was filming it at the same time that she was filming this? Or like back
0: to back or something like wow. that? Wow. Yeah. Truly the range.
1: The range. She should just stick to period pieces though. Mm. Like I'm I'm sorry, I just I just think she's got the face for it. She has she's, like an old timey beautiful face. Yeah. Whereas like Very you classic. take yeah, you take her body and her face now and she just looks kinda emaciated and She should pull yeah. a, a Kira
0: Knightley essentially.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've Got to say, overall, I do like it. I think mm-hmm. it's, I think it's good. I don't think it's excellent. I don't think it's, uh, I don't even think it's in my top five favorite venture films that he's done. It's probably somewhere at the bottom of his, of the list, mm-hmm. but I did enjoy a lot of the themes that were touched upon in the film just because they felt so fucking relevant to now. It's essentially a period piece. It's essentially a snapshot of a time. And this kind of gave me that. It really gave me like, if you were to pick me up and drop me off into, into thirties, Los Angeles, like this is Mm it um and it's got all the pertinent problems that you know these people in this industry have to go through you know whether it's the rise of socialism or the rise of fascism or you know just hollywood problems like letting people go or or whether it's like unemployment (laughs) funny how those are just
0: those are just just evergreen evergreen. (laughs) yeah
1: i just found it really interesting that this is at a turning point in movie making like in the 30s where it's like the talkies begin which are basically like the films with audio essentially Mm -hmm. where you can hear the actors talking that they're kind of revving up studios are becoming a little bit more of like a different kind of monster than than what they used to be and you know all these journalists and writers becoming screenwriters like uh does that sound like 2019 to 2022 i don't know because it really did to me like all Mm -hmm. of it it's just weird watching that in the same week that we got the announcement for, like, the Warner Brothers HBO Max news, you know, where you're just like, what's the future of the movie theatre? And it's like, then you watch a film about movie making and you're like, we're just at another turning point, I guess. And what what does that mean for studios, you know? It's just interesting. It just came at a very, like,
0: very weird time. Does this feel like awards, a, a shoo-in for awards to you? I mean, like, the Academy yeah. fucking loves old Hollywood, any yeah. Hollywood stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I,
1: th- I think for this year, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Were there any scenes that stuck out to you?
0: Like you said, like most of the scenes with Marion Davies played by uh, Amanda Seyfried, she really was like a scene stealer in those, even just like her expressions and the way she, you know, carried herself. The... I will say that it was a beautiful film, like, the way that she and other characters are just lit in this sort of black and white way. Like, the, the light and the shadow, the interplay of those, um, it was really beautiful. And, and, of course, like, now I want to visit the Hearst Castle out in California Oh, yeah, someday. totally.
1: Does that still exist? Is that still around?
0: I guess so. I looked it up. Jeez. It's I think it's, it's closed to visitors right now for obvious oh, yeah. reasons. But yeah, yeah, yeah. someday, like, I... Would love to go there.
1: I'll break into the Hearst Castle
0: if you want. <laughs> I'll hold you down. If no, no I'll
1: I'll get your bail money either way, don't worry. Um I found it interesting that David Fincher like wanted it to look like a nineteen thirties film, but also still couldn't help himself with his directorial tendencies, which is like So he's like pretty famous for this this one trick that he does. I'm sure if you've watched any Fincher film, you would now notice it. But um, in almost all of them, he does this thing where he moves with the actor. So if they lean forward to say something, the camera leans in. Um, And then if they lean back, he leans away. If they look to the side, the camera pans to the side. Um, He can't help himself. He does it on this film too. And it's like, sweetheart, they weren't directing films like this in the 30s. Um, (laughs) It just felt a little bit felt off it felt like awkward in the middle of that to me but other than that yeah i would uh, i mean listen i hate rewatching films like my husband is an ardent film rewatcher, and i'm like the literal opposite because i'm like there's so many films i haven't seen like why would i rewatch one that i've already seen mm-hmm. um but this is genuinely one of those films where i'm just like actually yeah i think a second watch makes it so much more enjoyable and then also you see the very intelligent sleight of hands from jack fincher uh david fincher's father that wrote this you see that too and it's like i like i like it it's like a little like little nugget that you didn't really catch before but um yeah man this is this is again this is a period piece it's an industry period piece this is what life was like making films as a writer back then it was interesting watching uh this man kind of grapple with i guess the bed that he made for himself and him just like finally trying to get out of it obviously i think this i don't know if this was true but if it wasn't it's a good choice to uh, have him stuck in that bed in that ranch trying to write this until he finally does it and then he's up and about um you know it's something that like as you get like when you're young you never think about this but as you get older you see people like that and you're just like fuck me I I wonder if that ever becomes me where I'm just like I've pissed my life away and then I finally have like one final shot and like maybe I fuck it up maybe I don't I don't know we can only hope and pray that if that's what happens we will get a last chance like Herman J. Mankiewicz
0: Uh, enough of that shit <laughs> what did you watch jenny uh so i watched tokyo girl which is available on amazon prime it is not new or recent it's actually from 2016 um it's a japanese tv series that you recommended to me Pellin, and i really <laughs> enjoyed it uh it's about this woman uh named aya the main character she's a she's played by the actress asami Mizukawa, um and essentially it it's this woman who moves from her small town, you know, hometown to Tokyo in pursuit of her dreams, um, you know, living the life. And then across 11 episodes, it follows her life from the end of high school to essentially middle age. And each episode is named after the Tokyo neighborhood she's living in at the time and kind of like a, a snapshot of a different stage in her life. So yeah, what I really liked about this series is a lot, honestly, I think it's one of yeah. the, the better things I've I've watched in a long time um it is like first and foremost like a, a coming of age thing and by coming of age i mean kind of what we talked about in a previous episode when we were talking about the film Shit House. it's coming of age in that like coming of age never stops and yeah. it continues and people continue to grow and learn and struggle and it never really ends because you know you never really have everything figured out at mm-hmm. any given point in life
1: yeah it's it's funny going from like talking about something that everyone is fucking talking about to talking about this it's such a sleeper hit like mm-hmm. it has a lot of the feel-good aspect in terms of like the tone of it is really pretty light-hearted for the most part i just re- i just really enjoyed how once it gets down to the heavy shit it really doesn't skimp on it
0: yeah and it has a lot of you know commentary on different kind of issues that are relevant now relevant to to women especially relevant to anyone sort of Trying to figure out their lives um, in the big city or otherwise, and one of the I think most most salient and obvious is the question of what does it mean to be a woman in mm-hmm. 2020 or 2016 or whenever yeah. in this modern day and age, and you you want the life you want to have it all you want love and the career and so you know this character as she progresses through life she has a number of different um, you know boyfriends or, or partners and. A number of, like, different jobs that she's leveling up in life. Um, But always, like, the attention running through that whole thing is, you know, what would you do to have your career, your dream career? And what would you do to have your dream man or dream partner? And how do they, how how can they exist at the same time?
1: Yeah. And how can these change over the years as you need different things at different points in your life?
0: Yeah. The priorities definitely change. Like the the main character Aya, her view of the world at the age of, you know, eighteen versus twenty five versus forty, they're they're radically different. Yeah.
1: It's just interesting seeing that growth. It's especially interesting, I thought, the way that throughout it there's just like a level of comparison that she makes between herself and the other women that she's around that seems to never end which is really sad but also that's kind of what it's like being a woman dude like
0: yeah and it feels just like measuring yourself against um, other people and other women especially constantly you know it's not only the the sort of heteronormative context but it's also you know the the cultural aspects of you know growing up as a as a woman in Japan like it comes through in terms of group dates are really common especially when you reach a certain age like getting set up in these sort of dates for the sole purpose of finding a potential partner. Mm -hmm. I've had like friends in Japan, um, you know, essentially they like dating. Um, It means something like when you get to a certain age, which it does here, of course, but I think I feel like it's a little bit, you know, more delayed and more flexible in certain ways where, where we are usually, which is New York in, in countries like Japan and, you know, Korea and China and to a certain extent, like a lot of the countries outside of the U S there is just that much more of a pressure Mm -hmm. to, have the job, but the job is a means to an end, and ultimately, you know what people really want often is the the dream family, the dream husband, um, the dream home, and that is just like incompatible with you know, personal ambitions, career ambitions in a lot of ways. Yeah. So as ambitious a woman as you might be um, at, at a certain point, both here and, and there and in all these different contexts, the question is like, you know, what am I giving up to get what I am supposed to want and what I think I want? Because yeah. there are scenes where aya is like, you know, she is an ambitious career woman, but also, you know, especially she grows older and keeps, you know, failing to find the, her perfect match. She admits like she is lonely she is like yeah. lonely by herself no matter how many other single friends she has no matter how how many like nice clothes and bags she can afford from her high power job like she is fucking lonely and she will settle for any kind of husband you know as yeah it gradually is, is revealed like she ends up getting married at one point and it's it's not at all like the the prince charming or anything that she might have imagined when Dude, she was in her 20s that ugh.
1: The way they did that episode was incredible. You know mm-hmm. the the way that the film the the way that the TV show is shot. It's very rose tinted glasses. Like everyone is pretty good looking, and and the workplaces look. You know what you imagine a Tokyo workplace to look like, and you know the group dates look loads of fun and in very very nice bars. But with regards to like her life updates, they're very realistic, mm-hmm. completely in terms of who she marries, how her marriage ends up going, how that you know spoiler alert eventually ends, and then what she gets out the other end of that, which is not mm-hmm. she she didn't want that. She also doesn't want what she ends up having, which is nothing. And then there's a particular scene that really resonated with me where she is surrounded by her old workmates that now all have babies and they're all just talking about their babies mm. and she's the only one without a kid you know that listen I'm married happily don't know if I want kids and it's just really weird feeling that pressure of pretty much every woman my age like getting pregnant and having kids and being like do I not want it because I don't like I'm scared or I don't want to follow that kind of mainstream understanding of what my life is meant to be and that's like it's depicted in such a good way, and the fact that she is able to obviously speak. Um, as a narrator too that really helps yeah, yeah
0: she she breaks the fourth wall um, pretty regularly and this is like kind of like flea bag in that sense like where she'll, she'll turn directly to the camera and not just her other characters break the fourth wall and speak directly to the camera too in very frank honest ways yeah, um, yeah. which is pretty interesting to see and what I also loved was the the inclusion of the city like Tokyo yeah. as a living breathing character itself yeah. um, I think it was a really clever conceit and framework to have each episode. Framed around um, a certain neighborhood in, in Tokyo, like I mentioned, like the, the place where Aya is living at the mm-hmm. time. You know, for example, you know, Ginza, which is when she sort of ascends in her career to become this more high high powered career woman and is looking for a, a more luxurious, sleek living, versus like going to like Yuyogi Uhara which is like kind of a, a smaller neighborhood. Like she has a lot of friends in that area. It's very residential, yeah. um, but very cute as well. Um, so it's really sort of playing with the idea of the city itself, which I, I fucking love. Yeah, I um, love this. So I think much. it's yeah, it's great for like anyone who is you know you're familiar with Tokyo maybe, or also for people who aren't as familiar with Tokyo and, and are curious about what the city is like in dif- these different pockets. Yeah, for um, sure, for sure. I mean, all of these cities like Tokyo, New York, just have their own personalities and all the boroughs and neighborhoods, yeah. and it really comes. And across. it's true too. Like wherever you live in any given point does
1: say something about the type of person that you are. You know, if you are a lifer with like living in a city that that's basically it. It's very very exact. It doesn't matter you, whether you're in Tokyo or New York or London. Like as someone that you know has only ever lived in a city their whole life, it it was very pleasing to see. I've got to say.
0: Yeah, I was happy with the the ending as well. I'm not gonna spoil it, but you know things uh, in her life don't turn out the way that she thought they would, and yet you know she's still it's it's still okay. I think that's uh,
1: it's it's honestly like. I was just so elated with how realistic everything was. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciated that it didn't patronize you into a happy ending. Um, yeah. It just felt... Or quote unquote happy ending. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, you know, as a woman working and living <laughs> in like a big city herself, what sort of stage in your life do you do you find yourself um, at? And like, what part did you sort of relate to most? And I know you talked about the, the kids thing yeah. a little bit.
1: Yeah. I definitely the kids part I think was the most relatable but with regards to like her and and where she was in life I think it was I was still I I think I related to the part where she she's like just about to switch jobs or she's not pleased in her role she's getting to the point where she's like kind of ready to move on or whatever and then she does and then like now she's in this new job and she kind of feels a little bit fish out of water and she's just trying to like figure it out. That's kind of where I'm at. I think we were about the same age. I think she was like either in her late 20s, early 30s at around that age. But I related to that because it's like you've been in a city for a certain amount of time. You know what it's about. And now, now that you're used to and, you know, the rose-tinted glasses of the city are now like, this is your life now. Now you focus on your work and progressing in that area. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, like I would love to kind of develop my career and make it into something a little bit more established. And then, yeah babies. I don't know if I want them. Probably not. How about you? (laughs) Which, Which
0: part was the part that really kind of hit? I think I... Would actually really love to to skip right to the yogi uehara part of her life mm. where she this is the part you know after again like spoiler alert her marriage has ended yeah and she is in this sort of cozy um much much more residential kinder part um of the city surrounded by a lot of other friends yeah. she spends her time like hanging out with them at a, at a flower shop god um, I want I feels, want her life I that love yeah I want that and like she has her own you know very cute little you know apartment and I know like she's experiencing kind of like some form of profound loneliness and the question of like am I old like am I a middle aged woman yet at yeah. that point but I feel I don't know if I am already out there and I've just skipped a bunch of steps or if I'm just like that's like my aspiration that is where I would like to be but I was I was really drawn to to that part yeah
1: yeah yeah either or it's uh, it's a good life to have honestly being surrounded by bakeries and just hanging out with your friend in her flower shop
0: yeah definitely definitely recommend that it is it does not it does not gotten enough love frankly and I agree especially in like um american or english speaking media so yeah i think more people should watch this hey let us put you on man like it's
1: not every day just parroting other people let us actually be tastemakers for once yeah all right so now that we've talked about what we've been uh, watching culture not much has been happening, to be honest. The no. only thing that everyone seems to be fucking talking about is the Warner Brothers HBO stuff. And it's like, none of us knows what's actually going to fucking happen. So can we stop talking about it?
0: Yeah. Everyone's Except like, got their we're, knickers- we're going to be watched Dune. Yeah. Oh.
1: Well, here's the thing. I'm probably going to go to the movie theaters. Oh my God. I'm sorry.
0: Good for you. Good for you. Fuck it.
1: Yeah. I just, it, everyone's got their fucking knickers in a twist and I don't know why because you don't know anything yet. Anyway, so what I do care about is actually all the pictures of all the movie productions and TV production sets that have been coming in on Twitter and everything. We've been getting a lot. Obviously, we previously talked about Gossip Girl.
0: Yeah. And Succession, there's been the info that uh Succession is filming right now. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited. That
1: honestly that's been getting me going. Obviously, there's a bunch of films that are being shot right now. One of them that has been getting a lot of pictures. I guess because they're filming in very very public spaces is olivia wilde's new film don't worry darling it's currently being shot it's got harry styles it's got florence Pugh. um but they've been they've been getting a lot of pictures rolling in because loads of fans have been showing up to set so much so that i guess one of the extras posted We'll we'll find the link but basically they got mad because the fans were too fucking loud after Chris Pine got on Uh set and uh, they kept screaming and they couldn't film and it's like it's a fucking shit show because they're filming during covid times which is even more expensive than shooting at any other time Uh, and they can't afford to keep stopping and not filming because of fucking idiots that keep showing up and screaming. Hello. Listen, I'm a fan too, but you have to protect the sanctity of the art making. All right? Like like don't don't ruin this for the rest of us. Don't ruin this, it for Chris fucking Pine One of the Chris's Are you kidding me? Get out of here.
0: Arguably the best Chris, one for, of the best I mean, Chris's. sure,
1: probably. He looks like he's wearing eyeliner all the to- time. I love that for him. <laughs> I love it. But um come on.
0: Let Let Olivia make her film. Yeah. I mean, I think this time more than ever, which that's a key phrase, like now more than ever, of course, like everyone is just so much more on edge and so much more, you know, driven wild by the even the hints of these sort of productions going on, the hints of their faves, the hints of themes returning to the sense of, of normalcy and you know where it's the same for us like we're so fucking pumped like like pelin said succession filming that is the only thing keeping us going probably but come on these things have to get made they they have to
1: make them these things have to get made like this is why you guys need to be in lockdown like literally but i guess there's always been set pictures always like i get that but there's just something about seeing them now where you're just like huh when i thought that like Basically, we were just going to be watching, like, all the B-movies that Netflix couldn't be asked to release before. Now they're just, like, pumping them out. We're actually going to get quality content. Um, it's nice to see that normalcy. It's nice to kind of yeah. have that anticipation.
0: Yeah, yeah. man. Keep any, them coming. Any new content. Yeah, keep it coming. Keep it please. coming.
1: Obviously, like, uh, if you want to silently take pictures of... Any of the Roys out in New York, by all means, do it. But just do it quietly. That's all we and ask of you.
0: Socially distance, wear a mask, you know, all of the above. Do it safely and and quietly. Feel free to to send us the, the photos directly, like right in the bloodstream. That's okay. Exactly. And that's us for this week. If you are watching anything that you think we should check out, let us know. Our email is criticismisdead at gmail.com. Or we're on Twitter and Instagram, criticismisdead. Feel free to add us or DM us. Um, you can also check out our Substack for extended show notes, including links to everything we've been talking about. That's criticismisdead.substack.com.
1: Uh, yeah, so please remember to send us your holiday recommendations for, so we can record about that next week. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review on Apple Podcasts, and maybe tell a friend about us. Uh, love us. Listen to us. Promote us. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, thanks so much, everyone. See you next week. See you next week. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin-Liu and Jenny ji Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu.